Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, guys, this evening we come to a portion of Scripture that, quite honestly, is very, very hard to interpret. Okay, chapter 6 of the book of Genesis has been talked about, it's been scrutinized, it's been combed over inch by inch by, by people who are a lot smarter than me, by a lot of biblical scholars, and the problem is, is they can't seem to agree what, what's going on in Genesis chapter 6. So here's what I want you to see. Tonight we're going to kind of, here's what I'm going to do. Tonight we're going we're gonna, to, our, our task is to weigh out the evidence, I'm going to give you the evidence of what's going on, and here's what I'd ask you to do. As, I'd ask that you file it, okay? File it in your brain and say, okay, Lord, I don't know until you give us, you know, the, exactly what it means. I don't know what to do with it. And so you, that might not be till we get to heaven, but at least we'll get an understanding of what's going on. Now, at Calvary Chapel, listen, at Calvary Chapel, guys, we attempt to teach verse by verse in an expositional method, okay? We call it expository teaching. We go verse by verse. Now, expository teaching means this. It's the teaching is a form of preaching that details the meaning of a particular text or the passage of scripture. Expository Bible teaching. It explains what is what, what the Bible means by what it says, okay? So we don't take a verse and jump out of it and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We just try to go through and we try to expose what's there. It's called expository Bible teaching. Now here, there are two great advantages to 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 expositional Bible teaching. Two great advantages to expository Bible teaching. You go, what are they? Number one, jot this down. You get the whole counsel of God. You get the whole counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation, you get everything that God says exposed to you for your life, for your passion, for your growth. Expository Bible teaching, that's one great advantage. The second advantage we have to expository Bible teaching, right, is... We get the whole counsel of God. You go, Ben, you just said that. Well, the thing about it is that, is that there, are a lot of, there are a lot of pastors, a lot of churches that would like really want to skip chapter 6, at least the first part. But we have even the hard truths to be able to go through and say that. So we, 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 we get all of this, and uh, chapter 6 is just one of those chapters where we get the whole counsel of God. Now, before we jump into our text, guys, let's recap what we talked about so far. Okay, last week we had the Harvest Festival, probably had like 500 kids through here. It was amazing. And so two weeks ago, we talked about and we learned in Genesis chapter 5, we learned the genealogy from Adam to Noah. Do you guys remember that? Adam to Noah. And we also learned so much more. See, even in Genesis chapter 5, our Heavenly Father, guys, was already laying out his plan of redemption for mankind. Right? Genesis chapter 1, we saw what was going on. We saw God created this amazing thing. Genesis chapter 2, then we saw the fall. Chapter 3, everything was good up until Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 3, we hit rock bottom. Sin entered the world. And at that point, God began laying out the redemption plan. And we saw that, right? We saw that. We saw that what was happening was that, that, that people on the earth were multiplying, and then they were giving names, but God records the gospel through the names he was given to our patriarchs. Here's the summary, guys, of God's plan of redemption hidden in within the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5, Okay. If you're taking note, you want to hear Adam, he means man, right? Adam begets Seth. Seth means appointed. Seth begat Enosh. Enosh means fleshly human. Um, Enosh begat Kenan, right, who means will dwell. Kenan be, uh, begot Mahaliel, which means blessed or praised. Mahaliel uh, begot Jared. Jared means shall come down. Jared begot Enoch, which means teaching or disciple. Enoch basically begot Methuselah, which means his death shall bring. Methuselah begot Lamech, which means despair. And Lamech begot Noah, which means rest or comfort. Okay? So, listen, I fully understand that this can be allegorical. There are people who go, no, that's an allegory. But I believe that God is giving us the history of the world and the plan of redemption. Let's put it all together. Think about this. It says, man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down, teaching, discipling. His death shall bring the hopeless, despairing rest and comfort. That's the gospel message. That's the gospel message. 
Within the gospel message, we saw something beautiful, right? We saw Enoch. Do you guys remember Enoch? Enoch walked with God. Enoch didn't die. Enoch was walking with God, and it says, God took him. God took him. Same word we get where Paul talks about that in Thessalonians, where, where we're going to be rapturous. We're going to be caught up. It means a snatching of away. So there's Enoch. Instead, everybody's living to be about 900 plus years, some in, in that general. That's the average, a little more than 900 years. And Enoch's 300 and pff, 365. God says, come on, let's go home. Let's go home. And we're looking forward to that one day, guys. We're looking forward to God taking us home. The one thing we need to do while we're here is love God. That's what, right? While we're here, we should just be so in love with God. I was telling my brother, Scott, Scott, I just love to hang around Scott. Scott loves Jesus. And, 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 and I love that. Why? Because that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to like rub elbows with each other and, and just, oh man, it just feels good. Because really that's what it's all about. It's about loving Jesus. And, and then one day... We're not, we're just loving Jesus, we're just loving Jesus, you know, we'll hear that trumpet sound, right? We'll hear it, it'll be glorious. Now, I think the trumpet is going to be much more than hearing it from our ears, as much as hearing it from our spirit. Be like, oh, it's time, it's time, this is Jesus, and, and, and we'll be home, and we'll be home. The one thing, guys, think about this in your life. Now, now listen, there's a lot of folks that sat, they sit out there and they go, man, but see, you don't understand. I, I want Jesus to come back. I love Jesus to come back, but I still have plans. I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to do this, and we'd like to have kids, and, and I get all that, and there's nothing wrong with those desires. But the thing about it is that that should be our, that should be our focus. Okay, I want to go home one day. I want to go home. And that being with Jesus is going to be far better than anything we can imagine. So God takes Enoch. We see that all right, all through there. So we see that, 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 again, the gospel message. And who is the gospel all about? Now, here's what we need to understand about the gospel. The gospel is good news, right? And it means good news. And in order for news to be good, it has to invade bad spaces. We get that, right? We get that. We see that man came, sin came in and destroyed all of mankind. It, it, just, it just messed up everything. But we also see that the good news is that is, is, is the gospel is also for those of us that are growing. Okay? It's for those that are saved. Okay, let's pray. Let's, let's, let's salvation, gospel, the good news, right? You can be saved from your sin. You can be reconciled back to a God that loves you. But, but it's also for us, guys, as we grow in progressive sanctification. It's good news. Because here's the one thing, right? Here's the one thing that we struggle with. We struggle to, to as we grow in the Lord, we struggle with, with, with our behavior and how we should act and how we should be. And, and God says, no, the gospel, the good news is there's mercy and grace as you grow and be more like me. And it's okay when you stumble, you can get up and you can be a little bit more and a little bit more. Pastor, when do we graduate? Well, we graduate, guys, when we're glorified, when we're in heaven, when we die. Okay, so up until now, here's what God's doing. He's looking and he's, and, he's, and he's working on you. And he's got the little chisel, right? He's got the hammer out and he goes, okay, there's some stuff I got to take out. Chunk, 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 chunk. Oh, 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 ow, 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 ow. And, and what he's doing is slowly he's making you more like his son Jesus. Slowly as you grow, progressively. Progressively. He's making you like his son Jesus. Well, now, back in our Bible study, guys, the story changes. It's almost like the writer says, well, okay, I've got this. I gave you the genealogy. Meanwhile, back on earth, there was something evil brewing. Okay? So we leave the plan of redemption that we saw in chapter 5, and we're going back to earth and see what's going on. If you're taking notes, guys, I'm calling this message a world gone wrong. And you go, why would you call it that? Well, tonight we're going to see and we're going to learn what was taking place on earth before this great judgment of God known as the Great Flood. Okay, so we see this is what's going on. Once again, listen, tonight we're simply going to weigh out the evidence found in Scripture and pray that the Lord will give us rest on this text. If you're taking notes, let me go ahead and give you the outline of the book of Genesis once again. It's always good to have somewhere else. First and foremost, guys, we've talked about creation. This is Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. That is creation. That's the first part of the book. The second part of the book is Adam and Eve's story. This would be Genesis chapter 2, 4 to Genesis chapter 5, 32. We ended up 32 two weeks ago, Adam and Eve's story. Now we're moving into the third part of our outline, which is Noah's story. 
Noah's story is chapter 6, verse 1, all the way to chapter 11, verse 32. What does that mean? We're going to hang out with Noah for a while. Okay, this is Noah's story, all the way from chapter 6, all the way to chapter, at the end of chapter 11. Then we're going to move into Abraham's story, Abraham's story, Genesis chapter 12, all the way to Genesis chapter 25. We'll learn about Abraham. Then Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac. We'll learn about Isaac's story, Genesis 25 through 28, verse 9. Isaac's story, Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob's story is taught from Genesis 28 all the way to Genesis 36. And last but not least, guys, starting in verse or chapter 37 of Genesis, we'll see Joseph's story all the way to chapter 50. All these stories are encompassing his story, hence the title of our series, His Story or History. So we're going to see basically God doing and pulling it all together, and it gives us a good feel for that. Well, tonight we start with Noah's story, okay? And Noah's story is going to take us all the way to chapter 11, but tonight let's just cover verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 6, picking it up in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when men beget to multiply on the face of the earth. And the daughters were born to them, and that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Moses is given credit to be the writer of Genesis. And what he's doing, guys, is he's taking us back to what's going on on earth. And what he says, first and foremost, he says, now it came to pass, or in the process of time, he says, here's what's going on. He said, men begin to multiply on earth, okay? So we see that. Now, the one thing we need to understand here, and maybe make a note in your Bible somewhere, is this is okay. This is okay. The men are starting to multiply on the earth, right? We must understand that this was actually a command of God to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. It's okay. And that's what was going on. And here's what we know. Adam and Eve started and they began to obey the command that says, be fruitful and multiply. We know that they were married back in Genesis chapter 2. And we know that Adam and Eve had kids and their kids had kids. And we talked about this. So over time, what's happening is that, well, here it is. The population began to grow and it began to grow rapidly with the lifespan of men. Now, here's where the story gets deep. In verse 1, the Bible says, right, and the daughters were born to them. And the daughters, everybody see that in verse 1. Go ahead and underline that, right? This is important. The Old Testament, if you'll go back, it usually refers to the birth of a male children when it's describing a generation. If you go back to, if you go back to Genesis chapter 5, you'll see that he is going to list, because it's a genealogy and he's going to list generations, it's always the male child. Okay, Adam, Seth, all the way through. That's usually what happens, okay, in describing a generation. In this case, the reference to daughters is deliberately a contrast to what actually he's going to talk about, the sons of God. The sons of God saw these daughters of men, and what he noticed is that they were beautiful, and he took, notice, they took for themselves wives. Let's read it again. Now, it came to pass when these men began to multiply, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw, verse 2, that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves to all whom they chose. So you have daughters. The sons of God saw the daughters of men. You go, now, if you were to just read that, you'd be like, okay, no big deal. These guys looked at him and said, hey, they're, they're good looking. We got together. Amen. But, but it, 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 here's where it gets deep, okay? Here's, here's what's going down. Notice verse 3. The Lord looks down and he says, no, no, something's wrong. The Lord said, verse 3, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his day shall be 120 years. You guys see that? Okay, it's almost like a parenthetical uh, verse where he says, okay, here's what's going on. Men, they're multiplying, blah, blah, blah. And then the Lord looks down and he says, oh, look at that. He says, now my spirit will not always strive with men. Okay, they're not always going to strive with men forever. For why? For he's indeed flesh. Yet his day shall be, how much, church? 120 years. Okay, now... He's saying that most now, at this point, guess how long had they been living up to? 
900. Methuselah was 969. Now, God just said, okay, from now on, well, let's see. Let's see what he's saying. Why? Because, because there are two schools of thought on this verse. There are two schools of thought. Let me give them to you, and it's kind of let you know where we land. The first school of thought, when it comes to verse 3, some people believe, they're in this school, that they believe that Jesus or the Holy Spirit, they're talking about God's Holy Spirit striving with men in the sense of judging and executing judgment on mankind for its sinfulness. They're saying, hey, this is, this is where they stand. This is the school of thought. My spirit shall not always strive with men forever. That's first school. That basically it refers to God's Holy Spirit striving in the sense of judging and executing judgment. You go, okay, what's the second school of thought? Well, if you have a pencil handy, the word spirit there, human, right? The, the spirit, the Lord says, my spirit shall not all strive with men forever, for he, said, for he shall be 120 years. It's actually the Hebrew word ra'uch, ra'uch, R-U-A-C-H. And it actually means breath. And here's their school of thought. God placed human beings, he's saying God placed in human beings would not always abide. In other words, man was going to die one day and that his lifespan was going to be 120 years old. And what he's saying in verse 3 is that this would be a warning, but it would happen over time after the flood. It wasn't like all of a sudden they're 969 and then they have a baby and they only live 220 years old. That would just, it happened. You'll see. After the flood, guys, we're going to start seeing that they're going to start living to 700 and 500 and 400 and so forth. Okay? What school of thought are you? You might be God's Holy Spirit. It might be. I just know but that living on this earth, I think it was, yeah, you know what? Man's going to just, my, my spirit's not always going to strive. My, my breath. But, but let me tell you what I do, Sue. Let me, let me give you a nugget of truth to the second school of thought, okay? If God looks down on us and he says, okay, you, the best you're going to have, the best you're going to have is 120 years. What are we going to do in those 120 years? What are we going to do? We're going to only live to be 120. You're thinking, all right, yeah, right? Because in here, we have some folks that are, that are older and some folks that are younger and young. And so you're thinking, man, that's a long time, 120 years. But, but here's the nugget. Here's what I want to leave you with, okay? Here's what I just want to say. If the Lord Jesus says, okay, listen, man's length of, of life is 120 years. The psalmist reminds me in Psalm 90, verse 2, he says, teach us to number our days so that we would gain a heart of wisdom. You go, well, what's the, what's the nugget of truth? Well, listen, the phrase number our days expresses the thought of putting in order and arranging the use of or prioritizing time because the end of one's life is fast approaching. Okay? You go, what does that mean? Well, the psalmist looks at us and he says, guys, listen. Lord, teach us to number our days, because I don't know how many days we have on earth. I don't know how long I'm going to live. And what are we going to do with the time that we've been given? What are we going to do with the time that, that we've, you know, that, that he has for us? What are we going to do with it? How are we spending this time? And, and the psalmist says, I want it, Lord, I want to I have a heart of wisdom. Well, for what reason? Well, again, he, he, Here's what I'm thinking. Okay, Moses wanted us to remember that the remaining number of our days grow smaller and smaller each day. But here's the application. You guys ready? The Word of God tells us that, we, like Solomon says, listen, we don't, know, we don't know the number of our days, but here's what I want you to see. Make every day count. Make every day count. Every morning, guys, no matter what our life has or no, what, what, how, it's, how, how, how it's been given. I mean, we've been given a gift every single day. And how do we live our lives where we go, I, I have no regrets. I want to live with purpose. I want to live with drive. I want to live, live with eternity in mind. 
I, I, I want to make every day count. Here's another one. Listen, if, he, if the psalmist is saying, teach us to number our days, here's what I want you to write down. Enjoy every moment. Enjoy moments. The enemy, listen, guys, I know. Listen, I know life is stressful. I know, I get it. But I think, Lord, teach me to step back and, and, and learn to enjoy the moments because that's all we have. That's all we have. I'm not saying it's easy. Trust me. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. It's hard to step back and go, I'm just going to enjoy this. I'm stressed out out of my mind. But, but I think if we can learn, if we can learn, God, teach me to number my days. Listen. Okay. Okay. So here's, here's an easy scenario. You ready? What would you do? How would you live if you were told you only had three months to live? Would you live any? Pastor, you better believe I'd live different. I'd quit my job, and I'd do this, and I'd do this, and I'd do this. Or you may not quit your job, whatever it might be. But I want you to think about it for a moment, because for every one of us, it's different. If you were given three months to live, how would you live? Guys, listen, listen. Busyness, listen, busyness is not from the devil. It is the devil. Because here's what we do. We get so busy. I'm guilty too, guys. We get so busy that we give the little side hug to, to people we love the most. And we kind of tap them. We high five and we're out the door. Because, because we understand. I mean, and, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking if, we're, if, if we're really going to embrace this, and you know what we need to do? We need to hug just a little bit longer. Just a, just a little bit longer. You know what it means for me? In my life right now, it means playing Barbies with my granddaughter. It means sitting down and letting her and watching her. It means enjoying the moments. Now, your moments are all different, but let me just give you mine so I see if we can connect here. Okay? The other day, you know, took my baby, my, my grandbaby, and we, Grandpa, I have to go to the bathroom. Okay, so took her to the bathroom, and as we're washing hands, they had one of those hand blowers. Okay, that's all it was as a hand blow. She put her hands in, and she's so little that she would get up and it would flap her face, you know, right? And I'm sitting there, and, and nor- listen, normally we'd rush. Come on, we got stuff, we got places to be. Am I lying? But to see her just sit there was just a moment that I could take, package it, and put in my heart. See, I want to enjoy every moment. Because she's going to grow. Olivia, your kids are little ones. And you're just like, look at them. And, 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 and you may have spent wonderful, precious moments, but, but they grow so fast. And, and listen, those of you who have little ones, listen. It, it, it used to be, I mean, they'd say, they, people would tell us when, they, when you have little kids, hey, man, don't, they're going to grow fast, don't blink. And you're thinking, man, I wish they'd grow up a little bit now. They're just little, they're hard. And all of a sudden, you blink, and they're big. And you're wanting those moments back. The point is, guys, the point is, is, is take those moments. Take those moments. Enjoy the moment you have. Enjoy the moment you have. Hey, Christmas is upon us. Okay, Christmas is about Jesus. It's not about presents. But how can you make your Christmas so memorable for Jesus? How could you do that? What could we do? You see, let's not get caught up in the whole trail. Oh, we got to buy presents and go into debt. And blah, 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 blah. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, let's, let's turn that on its head and let's see, how can we do this? How could it be so cool? And we could, do, we could start family traditions and do something different. And again, the point is, is, is that's the nugget I want to leave you with, okay? Enjoy every moment. Guys, when was the last time you laughed till it hurt? When was the last time you guys laughed and laughed and laughed to where you're on the floor in your own house just laughing? Don't you just love those moments? Be careful. Be careful, guys. Make every day count for Jesus. Well, we got to get into this. Meanwhile, back on earth, let's say, meanwhile, back at the ranch, it says there were giants, verse 4, on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. 
those were mighty men who were of old men of renown. Now, again, at just at this read, we could just read this and be like, okay, you have you have the sons of God into the daughters of men, and they have children. Let's just chalk it up. Let's move on to the next section. But here's where we have to do some work, guys. Because based on some interpretations, this is a complex verse, okay? This is right here. Because you're talking about sons of God. You're talking about daughters of men, two different, okay? They bore children. Now, these children are, 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 are basically giants. They're mighty men of old, men of renown. Who are there? And so what I have to do is I have to give you three schools of thought, okay? Three schools of thought right here. And I'm going to present the evidence, okay? Because I don't even know if we could put this in a movie. Because it's crazy. It's crazy. Three schools of thought on this. So uh, allow me to present each school. Then we'll unpack these verses, and I'll give you the evidence. You guys ready? First school of thought. Let's talk about the first school of thought. Okay? There are some scholars in this school that agree that the sons of God and the daughters of men were nothing more than the godly line of Seth and the ungodly line of Cain. That's where they're saying, okay? Do you guys remember what happened? Cain says, I don't want to talk to you anymore, God. I'm out. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going over to the land of Nod. And he begets sons and daughters, and they are ungodly. And God gives us this here in chapter 4. He gives us a little bit of the ungodly line. Then he comes back, and he gives us the godly line of Adam, Seth, Enosh, all the ones we talked about. So the school comes in, they go, okay, here's what it is. When he's talking about the sons of God and the daughters of men, here's what we're talking about. It's the godly line of Seth and the ungodly line of Cain. And what happened is that they got together and they produced an ungodly race that was produced through the union of these two groups coming together. And the Bible says that they were mighty men of old, men of renown. Some, at the beginning of verse 4, it calls them giants. Some of your Bible might say the Nephilim, the Nephilim. So you go, okay, here's these giants. Now, the major support for this interpretation is the contrast in chapter 4, guys, or I'm sorry, the context of chapter 4 and chapter 5. This school says, oh, okay, here's where we get our, here's where we, this is why we land in the school. Notice the context, chapter 4 and chapter 5. You go, okay, help, help me with the context. Remember, chapter 4 describes the ungodly generation of Cain, while chapter 5, we see the godly Seth line. And so he says, in context, this is what we're talking about. Now, what takes place in chapter 6 is a breakdown in the separation which threatened the godly seed through whom the Messiah was born. Now, next week, guys, we're going to see that the Lord floods the earth. We know that, and only Noah and his family is saved. So this seems, in this school of thought, this seems to make sense. Only the problem is that nowhere else in Scripture are the Sethites called the sons of God. So we go, oh, now we have a problem, because nowhere else has, can, can the Bible interpret the Bible. Ah, oh, we don't have that. <sighs> so again, this is this school of thought. Now, another, um, well, again, we know from life that that makes a lot of sense. And you go, why? Well, think about this. If we were to look at life and we see today, we see what is very much could be happening back then. And you go, what do you mean? Well, if you were to say that the Sethites were the godly line and the Canaanites were the ungodly line, you and I would raise our hand and go, well, wait a minute, were all the Sethites godly? Because in our day and age, we have a lot of people who call themselves Christians that are ungodly. And we have a lot of moral, ungodly people or, or those that are not, have come to Jesus that are just, they, they act more godly than Christians. And so you got that, oh, and so the context, you go, oh, one of the flaws in this school is that we cannot, I mean, probably not all Sethites were godly. And so you're going, oh, yeah. So not only at a godly line. So are they Sethites? Okay, I don't, that's, that's a school of thought. That's the first school of thought. 
Second school, another school comes. No, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't the. It wasn't the Sethites or the Canaanites. Here's 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 what here's this interpretation. Okay. As I began to study these verses, I came across a school of thought that I've never heard of. Okay, you go. What's that? But let me present all the evidence to y'all. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word for God is Elohim. Elohim. Now, remember, um, oftentimes, particularly in Psalm 82, it's used for men in position of authority. Okay? It's for like kings. It's Elohim, judges, if you will. And you're like, okay. So half the time, if you remember when we talked about God in chapter 1, half the time it's used for God, mighty God, powerful God, creator God. And other times it's used for, well, it, it's judges and rulers and those in authority. So this school steps in and goes, okay, well, the word is Elohim, okay? Elohim, and some hold to this interpretation. Some hold that, that in Egypt, okay, the, they used the term in Egypt, the sons of God, was actually from their, for their king. They would look at the king of Egypt and say he is a son of Elohim. He's an authority. He's a judge. He's a king. And like, oh, okay. Because they would look at the languages of the, of the ancient Far East, right? And they would say, oh, well, Elohim is men of position and authority. And according to this approach, the sons of gods were noble aristocrats. They were kings. And what they did is they came from Egypt and they had sex with the daughters of men. And they produced this ungodly evil line. Because they didn't have anything to do with God. I'm just like, wow, wow. The only reason that people land on this second school of thought is because they reject the third school of thought, which says that fallen angels came down and had sex with women, which is the third school of thought. Third school of thought. The third school of thought, guys, is where most people land, okay? The third school of thought is where most people are like, yeah, this is it, right? Third school of thought. The most favor of this interpretation, although it's hard to wrap your mind about it. And I guarantee you, you're going to go here going, you say, what? You say, what? Okay. According to this view, this school, the sons of God in verse 2 and verse 4 are fallen angels, which have taken the form of a masculine human-like creature. If you remember, one-third of the angels were cast down to earth with Satan. And what they're saying is you had some of these fallen angels that go, oh, they, they, they did what? It says, guys, now, now again, let's look, at the, let's look at the verse again real quick. There were giants in the land in those days, right? And also afterward, when the sons of God came into, that means they procreate, they had sex to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. So now you have these, these children, and so you, you say, okay, so these fallen angels came in, they married these women, and basically what? They had this, this well, they had this result of this, this evil offspring called the Nephilim. The Nephilim guys were giants with physical superiority and therefore established themselves of men of renown because of their own physical prowess and military might. Okay? So they're going, so, okay, time out. The, the third the third school is that these fallen angels came to earth. They somehow manifested masculine male features and had sex and created these evil giants that we call the Nephilim. Isn't that? Yeah, it's like, wow. Now, let me show you guys, and you can take notes, where most people get this interpretation, okay, where, where they're coming from. The phrase, son of God, guys, is used in the te Old Testament almost exclusively for angels, Almost exclusively. So they go, okay, so we, if you're using, right, the son of God, sons of God, what does it mean? Well, they run over to Job chapter 1 verse 6 and says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. So they go, okay, so these are, these are 
angels. These are angels, okay? Then they run over and say, okay, let's keep going. Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So they're going, okay, so in this verse, they're saying it has to be angels. has to be the fallen angels. Then they come over, and according to the book of Jude, they go, well, let me show you where in the New Testament, right, the book of Jude, and it says this, in Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but let's notice Jude chapter 6, Jude 6 and 7, it says, then the angels, okay, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering and vengeance of eternal fire. So they go over to the Old Testament and say, okay, see, there were some fallen angels that what left their proper domain. They were not angels anymore. And now, now they had sex with the daughters of men, whether they were Sethites or Canaanites, whatever it might be, they came in and and created this evil, wicked, wicked, wicked human race. The New Testament also has a, another passage, and it refers to this incident in Genesis chapter 6. If you're taking notes, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says this, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness reserved for judgment. Okay, let me just kind of summarize this real quick. There were certain men, okay, there, were, there was Satan, he came, Satan sinned, I'll be like the Most High. God cast them down to earth, one-third of the angels followed him. Now, at this point, they continued to sin by having sexual relations with the daughters of men, okay, God says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. He actually put them into a lower place in hell where they are right now. You're just like, wow. Well, Ben, but we still have demons running around. But these ones were the ones that were so wicked that they actually produced an offspring. You're like, wow, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. So here's what you're telling me, Ben. Let's see. Let me see if I get this straight. You're telling me that those who hold to this view believe that angels... Fallen angels, but listen to me, according to Mark chapter 12, verse 25, which says, for when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry or give in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. That's what Mark says. These fallen angels had sex with women and married them to produce these evil giants. Now, why did I bring up Mark chapter 12, verse 25? Because what they'll do is they'll step back and say, well, wait a minute, I thought angels were sexless. I didn't think they had any, I mean, I thought they were just, it doesn't say that, does it? The text says, for they will rise from the dead and they'll neither be, neither marry or will they be given in marriage, but be like the angels in heaven. The angels in heaven aren't married. So what are you saying? I'm just telling you this is what people are saying. This is one of the most popular interpretations of all of this. And I mean, here's the thing, guys. There are many. There are a lot of them. These are just kind of the three major schools where go, this is where I stand. So your question to me might be, Pastor, which one is it? Which one? You ready for the answer? Here it is. Jot this down. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I could read and read and read and read and read and read and read, and I don't know which one it is. But here's what I do know. I won't tell you what I don't know because I don't know it, but let me tell you what I do know. No matter what school of thought you're in or what, basically um, what view you hold, here's what I want you to see. It's obvious that Satan attempted to corrupt the race so that the Messiah could not come and redeem men. That's the obvious. You guys with me? And you go, okay, so what's, what's the point? What's the point? Here it is. Listen. If Satan knew that, he's, that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be born, he tried to corrupt mankind. Let's take it a step further. I think the enemy knows your life and how he wants to destroy it. Now, listen, you go, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven by the grace of God. Hallelujah. I'm saved. I love Jesus. I want, I'm in. I'm in. 
So what he wants to do at that point, now listen to me, what he wants to do at that point is he wants to shelve your walk. He wants to get you where you're not effective. He wants to get you disconnected from Jesus. He wants to get you to be egocentric instead of Christ-centric. He wants you to, he, th- this, is what it, that, this is his whole plan. If I can get to you, if I can stress you out, if I can keep you busy, if I can knock you down, if I can keep you down, if I can kick you when you're down, that's what I'm going to do. Because he's, he, he, this is his M.O. from the beginning. This is his MO from the beginning. And so, again, we do know that Satan attempted to corrupt the race so that our Jesus could not come to redeem us. Here's the basic schools of thought. Those three. Sethites, Canaanites, Elohim, kings of Egypt, or fallen angels. So, as we move on in our text, guys, here's my, here's my ask for you. We just ask the Lord, Lord, speak to us. You, you fill our hearts. And, and if, you don't, if, if we don't know what it is, maybe, maybe when we get to heaven, we'll go, okay, man, he's going to show us. He's going to show us. He's going to show us. Back to our text, verse 5. The Lord, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was evil continually. Do you guys see that in verse 5? So note what's happening on earth, okay? They produced this, and these, and these men were wicked. Wickedness of men was great on the earth, okay? The Bible just said to us, every intent, every thought of his heart was, was what? Was evil, and here's the word, continually. Continually. That's what's going on right now in Genesis chapter 6. Every thought was evil evil. And I started to thinking about it. And I started thinking, you know what? That's, that almost sounds like we're reading today's newspaper, doesn't it? Today's headlines. You go, what do you mean? Well, I, here, let me give you an example, okay? I just went on the computer and I said, world news, okay? These are the headlines that came up. Number one, in Yemen, it says this, fighting escalates despite the call for ceasefire. So we know that there's war going on. There's supposed to be a ceasefire. People are killing people, okay? The next one says this. Check it out. UK kids face greatest risk of being stabbed on the way home from school. This is, this is headlines right now. Your kid can't even walk home from school because their greatest risk is for somebody to kill them, to stab them. You're like, wow. How about this one? Mourners grieve Coptic Christians killed in Egypt, bus attack. So these Coptic Christians got killed in a bus in Egypt. How about this? How about closer to home? Closer to home. Type in Avalanche Journal. Two indicted accused of shooting homeowner in South Lubbock. I mean, it's just, just, I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's just like people. I read something the other day on the internet, and it was referring to the way we used to grow up. Maybe you all can relate. It said, back in the day, and it's always back in the day, back in the day, when two people got in, they got in a fight, there was never a gun mentioned. There was the, you got in a fight, and if somebody beat you up or you beat them up, you used to get up, you used to shake hands, you won, you won, whatever. That was it. If you lived in West Texas, you probably had a gun on your, in, 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 hanging in the back of the truck or, you know, on the gun rack. It was probably loaded. But nobody ever said, oh, wait a minute, I lost this fight. I'm going to get this gun, and I'm going to shoot you. But we do that all the time, don't we, church? I mean, the issue is, is that we have to be so careful that in our wicked world that you cannot even honk your horn off the loop because that might, be, that might incite road rage and somebody want to kill you. And so we're, 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 just, we're just going, oh, wait, hey, 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 watch out. And we're trying to, we're so careful. We're so careful nowadays because of the evilness because what happens is that if you looked at me wrong, you should die. What? You should cease to live. And that's exactly what's going on here. And in verse 6, the Bible says, The Lord was very sorry that he had made men on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Guys, this is a sad verse. The New Living Translation says this, The Lord was sorry that he had ever made them, and he put them on earth, and it broke his heart. And that's what broke mine, that the New Living Translation said it broke his heart. Now, I think about God with a broken heart. Man was evil, 
God was sorry he ever made them. And I think, guys, in my life, I never want to break the heart of my God. I never want to grieve him. And I know, but in my life, there are certainly times when I do. We sing a song here at Calvary Chapel, and and one of the lyrics says this, guys, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what's break, Guys, I never want, I don't want to break the heart of my God. Well, Ben, you do. There are things that you do that breaks God's heart when you sin, when you commit right a transgression, when you commit iniquity, when you know where the line is, and yet you choose to step over because sin is fun for a season. Ben, you break the heart of the Lord, and to that I say, I know, I'm guilty, and that's what makes grace even so more amazing, is it not? You see, the Bible says that the soul who sins shall die, and yet I sin, and yet God still lets me live. Because it's his amazing grace. His amazing grace. But here he's grieved. Here he's grieved. And so the Lord said in verse 7, I shall destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, but man and beast, creeping things, the birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I ever made them. And so what God's going to do is he's going to destroy, he's going to destroy mankind. He says, but not without warning. Not without warning. He's going to let them know. Um, we know that Noah's going to build an ark. However long it takes Noah to build an ark is the time that God says, it's my grace for people to come to know, to get saved, to get on the ark. It's big enough. But the Lord says in verse 7, I will destroy. If you have a pencil handy, you can circle that or underline that word. It's the Hebrew verb used here, makach, M-A-C-H-A-H. And it may, it may be translated to erase. Here's what I get, to remove completely. Often appears in context where something is washed away or erased with water. That's what it means. So God's already saying, listen, this is coming. It's coming. I'm going to erase this with water. Okay, guys, last verse, last verse, and we'll close with this, and then we'll take communion, okay? So all this is going down. We could leave here with heavy hearts, but then we have verse 8, and it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If you have a pencil handy, you know Noah's name means what? Rest and comfort. And what happened at rest and comfort? He found grace. He found grace to be saved, to be saved. Well, what's the word grace from? It's the Hebrew word chen from the root meaning to bend or stoop down. And what it means is unmerited favor. You go, why? Because we think, okay, now listen to me. You got to catch this. Oftentimes we think that Noah was, was just like, I mean, flawless, that he never sinned. That's not what it says. It said that he found grace. He didn't earn grace. I thought, wow, that just blew my mind. He found grace. He didn't have to earn it. You mean, well, time out of time. His name means rest and comfort, but, but he's just like me. He's just like me. He, he, he's a man who was flawless. He was a man who stumbled. He was a man, but he kept walking forward in faith in who Jesus was. He didn't know Jesus at the time, but he's going to. He's going to. Why? Because Jesus is going to be that beautiful ark that he builds that he and his family are going to be saved. It's like, wow. Now, next week, guys, we're going to revisit these verses just a little bit. But for right now, let us remember that it is because of the grace of God through Jesus that we can find favor with God. And we too can say, but Ben, but Adam, Tiffany, Nathalie, Angel, all of us in here, Angela, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's only through Jesus. And so, guys, as we come to the communion table tonight, it's only by his grace that we can partake. So before we come, before we get into worship, guys, let's remember it's that grace. 
And let's allow him to cleanse our hearts and purify us. And when you come, you come with just, just that heart of grace. Amen, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, guys. It's the gospel message. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And he has a plan and a purpose. And all we have to do is stay connected to him. And what we're doing tonight is we're celebrating that. We're celebrating that. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you. Tonight, Lord, we, we're ready to partake in communion. We celebrate with you, Lord. We, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We thank you, God, that we can come and partake in this. We thank you, God, that you have taught us from your word. And the one thing we got out of your word, O oh Lord, is that, is that men were wicked and continually evil thoughts. Lord, the story of Noah and the flood and judgment, it's, so, it's, it's too much, Lord, for us to take. And so, Lord, help us to see the grace in that, God. And Father, if Noah took 55 years to build the ark or he took 120 years to build the ark, what I do know is what I do know is that Noah was a preacher and he was probably begging people to get on the ark up until the very last day where you, O oh Lord, shut the door and the rains began to fall and the earth opened up. And so my prayer, Lord, today is that those that are here, those that are listening by radio, those that are listening by podcast, would ask your Holy Spirit to make sure that we're saved, to make sure that we have a relationship with you, to surrender our hearts and our minds and our wills all to you, and to walk in obedience to you. We thank you for that, Lord. And that we may find grace in the eyes of our Lord Jesus until that moment that we see you face to face. And we walk in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.